to bring them back safe and sound. And it's good to see them. Amen. Amen. And want to make mention last week on our junior ushers for doing such a great job. Amen. Amen. In the absence of our senior ushers. Amen. They did a great job of standing in the gap. And we appreciate them so much. And want to give appreciation also to our to our secretary who stood in the gap, our assistant secretary, amen, amen, Sister Bess, amen, did a great job, amen, and to all others who were here to make last week a time of praise and worship to God, God bless you all, and thank you as well, amen, 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 all right now, amen, as we prepare for the word, amen. Let us turn to the gospel according to Matthew. Amen. As we turn to Matthew chapter 5, I also want to come back and uh, reiterate and kind of put some emphasis on what Sister Terry said this morning about the meeting at the uh, um, Marble Community Center on the 14th. As those of this church who want to be involved in this community, that is a very good place to be. There's a lot of things that go on those meetings. I went to one of them when I first got here, and it's enlightening to see what kind of plans that are being put and executed in this community. And it also gives us a chance to look at our own gifts and abilities and see how we can fit in, how we can partner with them to also make Marlboro a better place. Amen? Amen. Marlboro, I mean, not Marlboro, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be starting at verse 17. Oh, to Jesus I Yeah. 
Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17, you will find these words. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. Amen. And this afternoon, I just want to talk with you from a few moments from the thought. What does the law have to do with it? What does the law have to do with it? In this series of lessons on Jesus, the making, the mind, and the ministry, we are in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And we must always keep it in its proper context. Remember that Matthew is writing this gospel as Jesus as king. Never let it out of your mind that every time you read these words of Matthew's gospel, you must write, read them in the context of Jesus as king. And when you get to chapter 5, you enter in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the manifesto of Jesus Christ. It is the objectives, the requirements. It is what Jesus requires of those who will enter the kingdom. So in our studies of chapter 5, we have found that the introduction to his manifesto is the Beatitudes. Wow. And his manifesto consists of chapters 5, 6, and 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, verses 5 through verse 12, allows us to see who the citizens of the kingdom of God are. Because when we look at the Beatitudes, it shows the characteristics and the attributes of kingdom citizens, you and me. But undoubtedly, you're like me. And when you look at that which is required of kingdom citizens, we know that we fall short. So there we fall short in being able to be kingdom citizens. We need some help. And that's where the king comes in. Because the Bible clearly lets us know without Jesus, we can do nothing. And so Jesus stands in the gap and becomes the 100% that we cannot be. And so the first verses there, the Beatitudes show us who we are. And then we look at verses 13 through 16 and it shows us how we operate. It shows us how we behave. You are the light of the world. You are the salt 
of the earth. But now we began to transition in the kingdom of God and his requirements, his objectives, his manifesto. And interestingly enough, he starts talking about the law. And it's interesting that those who were reading these verses, and especially the contemporary church, some of us believe that the law has been done away with. But Jesus is going to clear up that misconception today. As I explained when we first began our exposition of Matthew, that we would find things about Jesus that we didn't know. We would find that he thought differently than we thought he thought. He acted differently than we thought he acted. But the only way to get this kind of understanding is to see the Bible in its whole counsel. You can't jackrabbit around the Bible and get a verse here and a verse there and actually be able to get the whole counsel. So therefore, we're taking this verse by verse, segment by segment, passage by passage, pericope by pericope, so that we can understand the mind of Christ. Amen. So now we enter into verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What does the law have to do with it? The first question we must ask ourselves is what is the law? The law has been referenced as the complete Old Testament. The law has also been referenced as the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch or the Torah. The Bible has also been referred to or the law has been referred as the prophets and the first five books. So whichever way you look at it, the law has at least three components. The law has the moral components. That is the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not have any other God before me. Thou shalt not lie, shalt not steal, shalt not murder. Thou shalt not. It's the moral law. Thou shalt honor thy parents. The moral law. There shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The moral law. But it also consists of the judicial portion of the law. How Israel was supposed to judge themselves. How they were supposed to operate. And remember from the word of God that God sent down a steaming condensation against them. And the condemnation against them for having unrighteous judges. Because there is a judgment or a judicial component of the law. But the law also consists of the ceremonial law. That is the offerings, the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering. It's all those ceremonies, the the Passover. And so Jesus says that you thought that I came to destroy it. You thought I came to do away with it. But Jesus says, no, no. 
I came to fulfill it. Some say Jesus fulfilled it by his teaching. Some say he fulfilled it by his reaching. Some say he fulfilled it by his death. But I contend to you today that he fulfilled it in a way much greater than that. He fulfilled the law because the law is not what he did or what he taught, but it is who he is. Thank you, Sister Williams. You got it before I got there. Amen. It's who he is. Because when you look at the moral law, that's how he thinks. When you look at the judicial law, that's how he's going to judge. And when you look at the ceremonial law, that's the roles he plays. When you see the, the burnt offering and the blood sprinkled on the horns of the altar, he is that sacrifice. He is the lamb without spot or blemish whose blood will be sprinkled for the remission of sins. It is he who is the grain offering, the offering of thanksgiving to God. It is he who is the peace offering because he himself is our peace. Without Jesus Christ, there is no peace between man and God. There is one mediator between man and God, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. Through Jesus' own blood, he makes a bridge back to God. Because God, God's word had to be satisfied, and it had to be satisfied with the shedding of blood. The word of God says there is no remission of sin unless there is the shedding of blood. So Jesus Christ being the once and for all sacrifice for sin, shed his blood on Calvary to be our peace offering. Amen. So the law is not what he taught or what he did, but it is who he is. So then the question becomes, can we meet the law? Can we do all of the components of the law ourselves? And the answer is unequivocally no. How do I know this? Because the Bible clearly lets us know in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It did say all and it didn't just say y'all. All have sinned. And the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3. But also the prophet Isaiah says that our righteousness is of filthy rags. So the best we can do is worth only to be thrown out into the garbage. So surely we can't meet the law. But this flew in the face of those who were listening in this context. Because when we get a historical context, we realize that within the multitudes were the religious leaders of his time. The religious leaders of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes who figured that they were the ones who would be in charge of interpreting the law. 
So what the scribes and Pharisees did is they tried to interpret the law and they ended up making a bunch of man-made laws instead of letting the law of God stand on its own. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they, they, they came up with all these laws, these, these oral and traditional laws. What they did is they began to look at the law and they, they saw that on the Sabbath day, you shouldn't do any work. So they decided that it was their responsibility to sit down and figure out what work was. So they sat down and they argued among one another what work was. How many pounds could a person pick up in a day that was considered work? I mean, where was the threshold? And could, if a man's uh, piece of cattle or, or any of his property fell into a ditch, getting that property out of the ditch, would that be work? Would it be work for a man to pick up his child on the Sabbath? They sit around arguing about these kind of issues because they weren't in the spirit of the law, but they were in the letter of the law. They tried to fulfill the law externally. They tried to fill the law on the outside. And Jesus sent out strong scathings against them when he said, Woe! Unto you scribes, woe unto you Pharisees, you whitewashed sepulchers, but inside you're full of excess and distortion. You put on burdens on folks that they shouldn't even have to bear. So in the religious context, when these scribes and Pharisees were supposed to be welcoming in the stranger and making them feel at home and showing them Christ and showing them the Messiah, they were making up rules and regulations that put burdens on folks that they could not bear. So then we come to the whole idea of what does does the law still matter to God? When we look at our text, we see, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And he said, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Does the law still matter to God? Yes, it does. He says not one tittle or one jot will pass away till heaven and earth has passed away. Heaven and earth is still here, y'all. So the law still matters today. So now we have to grapple with the issue of what if the law still matters today and we can't fulfill it in ourselves all righteousness as a filthy rag all have sinned there's none righteous no not one then how can we be pleasing to God well the answer is clear in our text Jesus himself says that he came to fulfill it 
If any man or any woman is going to fulfill the law, you must fulfill it in Christ Jesus because he is the only man that ever walked the earth who was not sinful, who had not sinned because he is the only one that could meet that righteous standard. And he came so that we might find our righteousness in him. So in order to fulfill the law, we can't fulfill it by outward gestures. See, sometimes, even in the contemporary church of the day, we try to make up our own righteousness. We try to set up rules and regulations by which we ought to dress, by how we ought to talk, and that shows how righteous we are. But it's the same problem that those religious leaders had of that day who tried to set up their own oral and written traditions in order to show themselves to be righteous. They patted themselves on the back because they had come up with these extraneous laws. And we still patting ourselves on the back when we come up with our own. We come up with dress laws. How we need to dress when we come to the house of the Lord. I'm not saying that you come in here and you be half naked and that's okay. But there's a lot of play in how we can look and how we can dress to be free in the house of God. You know, there's some things that we do that we've been doing because we've been Christians a long time. That some new Christians going to have to learn. But give them some slack so that they can bear it. See, what happened with the religious leaders of that time, they didn't give nobody no slack. I mean, you had to have it all right out of the gate. Or before you know it, they're shaking their finger in your face. But we don't want to be like them. We want to be free. We want to be liberating to those who need to find Jesus. And so our text goes on to say that we have to ask the million dollar question. We have to ask, okay, preacher, now that we know the components of the law, now that we know the historical perspective of the law, now that we know that Jesus came to fulfill it, now that we know that we can't fulfill it unless we fulfill it in him, what does that mean to me? Is there anything relevant about this story, about this passage of scripture that makes all the world to the church today. And I contend to you, it does. Because the fruit does not fall far from the tree. Even though many of us are Gentiles, because we come from the same line of humanity as Adam did, we all have those same frailties. So you ask the question, what kind of message is this? How does this stuff about the law relate to me? The Judaizers, the the religious sect of that day, remember they kept making their own traditions. They were all about interpreting the law themselves and instead of letting the law interpret itself. And so they had problems with the Sabbath day and what was considered work. Well, I contend to you today, we still have problems with the law. We still have problems with the word of God because we want to interpret the word of God according to what makes us feel good. 
We want to interpret the law in a way that makes us comfortable. That makes the world a little place that's comfortable for us and exclude everybody else. How so, preacher, is that the case? Well, let's deal with the idea of who's our neighbor. The Judaizers had a problem with that very issue because they didn't consider the Samaritans their neighbor. They didn't consider the Samaritans their neighbor because they were half-breeds. They were a mix of this and a mix of that. Yes, they had Israelite blood, but they were mixed with Moabite. They were mixed with Egyptian. They were mixed with all kinds of folk. And so the purest, so the ones on the inside, they said, they're not of us. They're not our neighbor. So Jesus had to come through with a parable. And that was the parable of the Good Samaritan. To bring it home that yes, the Samaritans are your neighbor. But now we bring this to a contemporary context. So many times, us church folk, we want to redefine what neighbor means. We want to redefine neighbor for the folks that we like. We want to redefine neighbor from the folks who's in our families. I mean, if you're not in our family, then you don't get the same kind of treatment as my family does because my family is really my neighbor. But the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus made it clear that your neighbor is more than just the Israelite. Your neighbor is more than just your family. The neighbor is more than just your church members. But the neighbor is anyone and everyone who needs the Lord. Because Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you have done it to me. He said, I was hungry, but you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, but you didn't give me drink. And sometimes that's just what we do. We take care of our own families by the exclusion of everybody else. Even inside the house of God, when the Lord said you would know, the world would know that we are his disciples by the love we show one another. We click and we clack. We separate and we congregate. Family here, friends there. Those who look like us and talk like us. But then those who look a little different, they get ostracized and set aside. They get demoralized and disenfranchised. But the Lord says, when you do it to them, you have done it to me. So now we see where the relevance comes. You don't need to try to redefine the law because Jesus has already fulfilled it. Because the Bible says that he didn't just die for the Israelites, but he died for the world. Whether they were Moabite or Egyptian, Jebusite or whatever kind of ice. They were those he died for. Whether it was Indians or whether it was Chinese, whether it was Europeans or whether it was Africans, he died. 
So now, here is the relevance. Stop trying to redefine the law and let the law be the law. Let Jesus be whom he is, that he died for everybody. And so, he being the sinless man of God and we being sinful, how much more should we reach out to those who don't like us? Who those who don't have our last name? Who those who don't talk like we do or who don't walk like we do who don't have the same membership but they may have tattoos all over their body. Their hair may be all kinds of colors. They may smell like weed. They may be snorking on dope. Them people right there. When you've done it to them, you've done it to the least of them and you've done it to the Lord. So today is the day to put down those walls, to tear them down and stop being so prejudiced toward one another and those who are outside because those outside don't give a, uh, don't give a care about anything we're doing in here until they see that we love one another stop setting up traps for one another stop treating each other wrong stop talking about each other stop scandalizing the name and then they will see the love that we have for one another and then they'll be running saying what must I do to be saved what is the relevance of the law? That very thing. Because the lawgiver, that one, the immaculate lamb of God, the fourth one in the furnace, Joshua's battle axe, Ezekiel's wheel in the middle of the wheel, the rose of Sherem, that one, Daniel's help in the lion's den, that one, Malachi's savior, Habakkuk's man of God, that one, his name is Jesus, and he died for a sin-sick world. Not those who are rich, not those who are poor, not those who are middle class, not those who are wealthy, but he died for the world. He died. The Bible said God so loved the world. Jerusalem. 
all have to do with it. It's got a lot to do with it, don't you say? Hallelujah. Amen. So right now, the invitation has been extended by the lawgiver, the one whom the law is, Jesus Christ. Almost 2,000 years ago, he died for every one of us. Those who weren't even born yet, those who live right now, he gave his life so that we might live. So if there's somebody here, I want you to search yourself today. Do you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you have to be honest with yourself and say, you know what, preacher? I don't really know him. I, I know about him. I, I've been coming to church. I, I've heard about Jesus, but he don't have the same effect on me that he has on you. I, I, I don't understand. It doesn't feel like he's on the inside. We, we don't talk during the week. We don't walk together. I, I don't really know him like that. Right now is the time to get to know him just like that. Jesus says, that he stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And if you will just open the door, he'll come in. And he will sup with you. He will break down and have an intimate meal with you and tell you all about it. And while that time is going, you can tell him about all your troubles. But God doesn't stop right there. He says he will give you his spirit. That will change your dead spirit into a live spirit that can communicate with God. So that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So that you can truly say, Daddy, to God. He is your father if you'll let him. But you got to let him in your heart. And you can come right now and give your life to the Lord today. Don't let another minute, another second, another hour go by because tomorrow ain't promised. Later on this evening, they promise. You can get to know him today. And then you can say, if he hasn't, if he doesn't do anything else, he's already done enough. Because when your soul is fixed with Jesus, you got another home. Jesus says, believe in God, also believe in me. He says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, and when he goes to prepare that place, he's coming again and receive you unto himself. That where he is, you will be also. And the Bible says, enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter in his courts with praise. He says, in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you don't know him like that right now, you can get to know him today. Amen. Come to Jesus just as you are. You can come to Jesus right now. Come to Jesus while there's still time. He is willing and able to save you right now. Come.
prepare for our offering and our benediction. Amen. 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 Oh, uh, one other note real quick, y'all. Uh, uh, somebody somebody in this church celebrated an anniversary last week. Can anybody guess who it was? You. Hallelujah. <laughs> amen. My sister, amen. Sister, amen. One year at New Zion, praise the Lord. Because I started the first Sunday of August 2013. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> For his goodness and his long suffering and his mercy. Amen. 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 Well, let us stand. Amen. For our benediction. Amen. Where he every saint under the sound of my voice. Lord, thank you for every person who have heard the word today. Lord, and I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you make us better because of your word. Lord, you see our frailties. You see how we have fallen short. But Lord, we lean and depend on you right now, Master, to make us all that you would have us to be. Lord, we can't do it. But Lord, you do it in us. Because you said in your word that you were our life. 
And Lord, we are depending on you to be all of that to us and more. Lord, we want to see those things that we haven't seen. We want to experience those things that we haven't experienced. We want to be able to realize that what you have for us is more than we could ever ask or think. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, keep New Zion and all of the visitors here today. Lord, keep them in your care as we go down these dangerous highways and byways. Lord, keep them from danger seen and unseen. And Lord, as we prepare to give in our offering and tithes, oh God, Lord, bless this offering, Lord, and let it be all that you would have it to be. And Lord, we lean and depend on your promise, oh God, that if we bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there might be me in your house. And that if we prove you now herewith, that you would not open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing, that there may not be room enough to receive it. Lord, we thank you right now for your promise in the name of Jesus. Lord, use New Zion the way you would have us to be used. Lord, let us be the light unto this community, O oh God, to reach and to have others to come to know about the darling son Jesus, about the one who hung, bled, and died on the old rugged cross from the third to the ninth hour. Lord, we thank you and we lift you up for you're worthy to be praised. These things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus and the whole church saying, Amen. God bless you and God keep you. You may be seated and please obey the ushers.